The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles in the back. And basically, 1 Corinthians is like towards the end of the Bible and like 100 pages back. So you just kind of think about the very last cover of the Bible and you go to 1 Corinthians. That's right where we're at. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians. And we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we are going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this for us, pray, and then we're going to start looking at this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that he has given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, and we start out in this book together, I pray that we would get a taste, a fresh taste this morning of how powerful and good your grace is in our lives, that we would be a church that would be defined by grace, that we would be filled with grace, that we would see grace in others, that we would commend and praise and be excited about your grace and the people around us, both in our church and in our neighborhood. I ask you to do this and more than we can ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if there's things that you think about on a weekly basis, like sort of like backtracks or whatever in your head, kind of like uh, the old cars, the regular tape that you'd put in the tape deck. Things you think about on a weekly basis. You know, you've got that, that ACDC track you listen to on the way to work or whatever. This is one of those passages that I think about on a weekly basis. This passage informs how I think about my life and my life as a Christian, my life and my family, my life as a pastor. This passage, I think about, no kidding, I've thought about this passage every week of my life for the last 10 years. Because this passage has shaped how I think about what does it mean to be a Christian. Right? This, this is constantly in the tape deck of my head. Once a week, it's going in there, and I'm processing through this, all because, if you look here, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. As somebody was saying, I was talking to Jamie earlier this week, Paul, in this letter, is about to do some pastoral Brazilian jiu-jitsu on this church, right? There are some major issues that they've got, and he is about to do a major, major leg swipe, and pull them down and put them in a major choke lock for Jesus, right? <laughs> but before he does that, he says this incredible verse, I give thanks to my God always for you, right? If you're not familiar with the book of Corinthians or the Corinthian church, here's just a little picture of what was going down and the reason why this statement is so incredible that this is where Paul would have started out, right? They got crazy sex stuff going on in their church, right? They got lawsuits going left and right, people in their church taking each other to the court, um, they got power plays, right? They've got, um, I don't know if you guys remember, like, the old celebrity deathmatch on MTV. They got celebrity deathmatch stuff going on with their pastors where they're like, look, my pastor's better than your pastor, and they're like, you know, 
doing their posse thing with their pastors, right? They got people, they, they would use wine for the Lord's Supper, and people were getting drunk during the Lord's Supper during church, right? So you've got those issues going on, right? Not to mention the fact that people were trying to one-up each other with holiness and knowledge and who knew more and who was better and who didn't have to worry about sinning anymore. Crazy stuff going on, right? And they were all directing a bunch of slander at Paul. So it wasn't just kind of like crazy stuff going on in the church. A lot of them were beginning to slander and talk about how Paul was a poor pastor. He was, you know, he didn't do a good job and all that stuff. So it was personal. And yet Paul starts out, and this is genuine. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You got to ask why. Why is he starting out like this, right? We're going to get in some serious, to quote, Brazilian jiu-jitsu pastoral chapters to come. But he starts out here. Because Paul is showing us what it means to have a gospel perspective, a Jesus perspective, to join God's perspective of other people. Because, you see, here Paul is looking at them and he's saying, you know what, this is personal, this cuts deep, there's a lot of issues. What God sees first is most important rather than all the personal stuff, right? What God sees, what God knows, how God thinks about them is more important than the personal beef that we've got going on that we're going to address, right? He's got something in his head where he sees who God is among the church and what God sees first and how God sees them that is going to radically shape our lives, right? I just want to say these five verses could be a life-changing perspective for you and how you think about your life as a Christian, or if you're exploring Jesus and wondering, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because maybe you've had experiences where Christians have been judgmental, demeaning, condescending, look down on you, talk bad about you, right? right? You, how do you join Jesus? <laughs> if you're exploring Jesus, how do you join Jesus in having a perspective about his messed up family, right? So this is for both Christians and non-Christians. This could be a life-changing passage where we get, what does it mean to join God and how he sees other people and what he sees going on rather than seeing our issues first with other people, right? That's what I want to say. That's why I think about this in terms of like the tape deck of my head. I pull this tape out once a week and think about this because God is always at work among other people. So here's the main point of this passage, right? Here's the main point if we're trying to find, sorry, let's go back a few, few, few slides here. What's the main point of this passage? All right. God is at work, and that is the primary thing to see. Because God is always at work, we must always thank God for his grace in each other. Right? That's the main point of this passage, right? Because God is at work, we must always thank God for his grace in each other. And we're just going to walk through this, and it's going to be what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do, right? So how do we, how do we join what God sees in other people? How do we join that perspective? It's going to be real simple. We're going to be looking for what God has done. We're going to be looking at what God is doing, and we're going to look at what God will do in each other, right? It's a real simple perspective. We're just going to kind of walk through how we see God's grace in each other. So we're going to pick up here, back again in verse 4. We've read this a number of times. I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech 
and all knowledge. Right? We're going to pause there. We're going to be looking for what God's grace, looking for God's grace and what he has done. So verse 4, I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that was, right, you see if I got that word, that, that past tense, was given to you in Christ Jesus. All right, this is basic Christianity 101. This is grace, what is the nature of grace? God's undeserved favor, God's undeserved pleasure, God's undeserved smile upon us. And why does he give it to us? In Jesus Christ, right? It was given to us in Jesus Christ. This is, if you're wondering what is Christianity all about, God gives us his smile, not because we're great, but because Jesus is great, right? And when we say Jesus is great, we're not great, we get God's smile, right? That's, that's, the, basic, that's the basics of Christianity 101. But it's not just that we get God's smile, but you see, I give my thanks always to, to God, to my God always for you because of the grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus, right? This is not like... Um, this is not a toy without batteries that God gives us, so to speak, right? The gospel is that God forgives us in Jesus, and it comes preloaded, right? You don't get the rinky-dink, um, stripped-down version car of grace, and then you kind of have to work your way into getting more of God's grace in your life, right? right. It, you've, you're, you're given everything that you need in God through Jesus because the gospel comes preloaded with what? Verse 5. That in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge. See, the gospel comes with all of these gifts that he gives us. He gives us not just grace kind of like as like a banner. It's like, hey, you're forgiven now. But it comes empowering our lives to know who God is, right? It comes in and kind of like a smoke would fill this room. It just envelops our lives because God gives us more than we could ask right when we ask for Jesus, without exception, right? This isn't, a, uh, this isn't like when you talk about like buying a house and your house poor for a little bit, you know? Like, oh, I'm, now I'm in Jesus, but now I got to save up to get some more stuff from God, right? This isn't house poor Christianity. This is gospel rich and enriched lives in Jesus, right? You notice that they were that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge. You see, but he, he calls out these categories in all speech and all knowledge because they had lost perspective of how the gospel shapes the basics of our lives in Jesus. Right? I don't know if you got did anybody see the Great British Baking Show or whatever? Right? Anybody a fan of that show? Right? I can't, the stress of the show kind of causes me, I can't do it. Like, it stresses me out. Right? Sorry. But if somebody, what's the line the other day? Michelle likes to watch this show. That the review of the cake was, if I said this was a disaster, it'd be, I'd insult disaster, right? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, bro, if somebody said that about my sermon, I would quit. <laughs> I'd be done. <laughs> so at the church in Corinth, they had turned all of these gifts of God into basically the British bake show <laughs> of the Corinthian church, right? Who speaks better? So, all right, we're going to have one guy get up, and he's going to speak. And who gets up next? He speaks, and then we're going to compare him. Who's the better one? Or we're going to get somebody up who's super smart, and then the other guy who's wicked smart, and who's better, right? They had turned the gifts of God into effort Christianity. Not that you don't try and strive in your Christian life, but basically it was who's the better Christian here, right? Which means who's, a better, who's better and closer to God than you are, right? It was this kind of like two-stage Christianity where it was 
Well, you get into Jesus, but now you got to work your way up to better gifts, right? To better graces, to better, to better ways of doing things, right? This was turning grace into works, right? The, great, the gospel had been turned in the Corinthian church into effort. And the way Paul addresses that is he goes back to the foundations and he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God gave, has given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched. There was, no, there was no kind of like left out part, right? There wasn't like a third edition of God's grace that he had to get to you before he was enough, right? It was grace that was sufficient for everything that they needed because it was gospel 101. The gospel comes preloaded with the grace and power of God. So I just want to look at the first three chapters of Corinthians. There's a list that I, we got the slides working now. Sweet. Let me go to the next slide where we got a list going here. These are, what are the graces that God gives us? Nope, not that, not all kinds of gifts, and I put two ends in there. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, here we go. We're, we're looking for it. All right. Chapter 1, verse 30. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Right? God gave us wisdom, which means all the power that we need to follow him and enjoy his designs. Verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 30, righteousness, right? All the things that we need to be able to follow God, not because we're worthy of it, but because Jesus is sufficient. He is the good one, not us. Sanctification, all the power that we need to be able to follow after God. Redemption, all the ways in which we need God to fill and renew our lives, Right? Chapter 1, verse 24, we're given the power of God. Chapter 2, verse 2, we're given the Spirit's power. Chapter 2, verse 12, the Spirit given to understand God's things. Right? We're given the Spirit so that we can understand the Bible. Right? Right? So there's not like the pastors who know how to read the Bibles better than everybody else. It's just I've studied the Bible a little bit longer. But all Christians are given the power to be able to understand God's Word. We're given the mind of Christ. We're given the privilege of being God's building and family. God loves to dwell. Here we go. God loves to dwell among his people. God loves to dwell among us, right? So when you're here right now, this is not just a, a collection of people from the city who are all kind of like, hey, I want to find out more about Jesus. God's brought us together because God right now dwells among us. Right now. That's the power of the gospel. Not because we've deserved it or this last week we've earned it. Because God loves to bring together people in Manchester to make him his family and his house, right? And then verses chapter 12 and 14, it's where God talks about he gave him the spiritual gifts. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Paul is redirecting their attention. They have gotten all kind of bent out of shape on all of these gifts and turned them into a way of like outdoing each other. But really, Paul is drawing their attention to the fact that you believed in Jesus. <laughs> that is the most foundational thing in your life because you won't believe in Jesus without God dwelling in you, right? God's the one who dwells in them, so now they believe in Jesus, and they'd lost perspective on it, and it'd become kind of a one-upmanship Christianity, a one-upmanship church, right? This is important because in our lives, we often want to, we feel most deeply and hold most closely our personal beef with other people, don't we? So-and-so's offended me, so-and-so's offended, they've annoyed me, They've done something that hurt me. They've done something that's sinful. Right? We've been wronged and disappointed and betrayed by others. It's easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? It's easy to get caught up in that drama. 
right? All the Facebook posts and all that stuff. But Christ gives us this perspective. When you look next to you, the people in the church, people in other churches, God loved them so much that the Son of God died for their sins, and the Holy Spirit gave them faith to trust in Jesus. That is a miracle in a graveyard, isn't it, right? Nobody has deserved that, right? We, we, we walk in a graveyard of dead souls, and then God comes, and he says, alive, alive, know me, I'm filling you, you're mine. And we have no right to look at another Christian and condemn what God is redeeming, right? We look at them, and we say, there's God's grace in them. Why? <laughs> because they've trusted in Jesus. That's Christianity 101. They've trusted in Christ. They know him. That, that means... God has not given up on them yet because he dwells among them. He's with them. And they wouldn't profess Jesus if God didn't dwell in their hearts. Right? That, that, that's what, call, what, God, what Paul is drawing our attention to, God's perspective to start out with, with all Christians, is first of all, they are forgiven sinners who have been made sons and daughters of the living God. They are friends of God because God's called them his friend. We have no right to look at other Christians and start condemning what God has decided, has enjoyed to make his family. Right? We have, it's pride to say, oh God, you, you don't understand what so-and-so's done to me. God looks at that and says, I, I know. I paid for all the ways that you've offended me. And if they're in Christ, all the ways that they've offended me and I've still put my spirit in you, and I've still given you all these preloaded graces in your life. Right? The gospel comes in and changes how we look at other Christians. So just imagine what your life would be like if tomorrow when you get, wake up and that bitterness, that relationship comes into your life with another Christian, another believer, and you said, instead of dwelling on what they've done against me, I'm going to think about how God has chosen to save them, right? God has chosen to make them his child, right? God's chosen to give them his grace, right? And this applies for other churches that have different perspectives than we do, right? I, rather than getting all bent up out of shape about how churches do, other churches do different things, why don't we just say, you know what, God? I'm grateful that there's Christians there who love you and know you and enjoy you, right? Yeah, everybody's going to have their perspectives on certain things. That's fine. But we, we can't, and we can disagree with other Christians, but we must not turn them into enemies where we forget they are forgiven vessels of God, right? They are forgiven people that know the goodness of God. So let's do this. Before we use our words to start spewing out the bitterness and anger and jealousy and frustration with other Christians in our lives, let's use our words to commend what God's doing in them at the basic level, what he's already done in Christ. Brother, I'm so grateful that, that God saved you and that we're family in Jesus forever. Right? Sister, I'm so sorry that we've had this struggle. And while we're going to continue to have the struggle and work it out, I want you to know that we're for each other because God's been for us. Imagine how that would change just the tone of our relationships. Just imagine how that would infuse grace into our lives together. All right, we're going to pick up here in verse 6. We're going to keep following along. Remember, we must always thank God for his grace in each other. And so how do we do that? First thing is we look at what he's done. 
Now we're going to look for God's grace and what he is doing. Verse 6 and 7. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed. That word confirmed, we can kind of think of that as kind of like, um, are you showing up to work or not? Confirmed. You know, like that thing. <laughs> What's actually going on here, Paul is saying, that's, a, that's an economic term. It's kind of like the down payment on a house, right? Right. How do you know you're going to buy the house? Well, bro, I put down X amount of dollars on this, and it's legally binding, right? It's going to hurt me to pull out of this deal, right? It's a down payment. It's confirmed. It's an economic term, right? And that would have been a term that the Corinthians would have understood because they were an economic hub, right? They would have gotten that term. They would have been doing ship trading all the time, and they would have known when Paul said, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, they would have thought, oh, God has God's put his his skin in the game on this. He's put his money on the line, so to speak. He has done something here that, that guarantees that he's with us, right? Remember back in Acts 2, we looked at this at the beginning of the sermon series, right? God says to Paul, when he's going into Corinth to start the church, I have many here who are my people, right? And then, right, what happens? They come to faith, they trust in Christ, which means God gave them his spirit, which means that God's in it for the long haul, right? He's not leaving and ejecting. Right, so when Paul says his testimony was confirmed among you, that means not only did God do it when they believed, but he continues to stay with them. Right? He's not an absentee dad. Right? He's not a guy who buys a rental property called a church and then vacates and gives it over to other people. Right? He dwells among them. So that, verse 7, what? So that you are not lacking in any gift. Right? This is, a, this is Paul beginning to kind of do a little bit as... He's, he's encouraging them in grace, but he's still doing a little bit of some Brazilian jujitsu on them because they'd all gotten bent out of shape on the gifts, right? They'd all gotten consumed on the special gifts, right? So when you talk about spiritual gifts in the Christian life, some people get really amped up about gift of prophecy, gift of tongues, gift of healing, those sort of things. And we believe those things are still active and true and a part of the Christian life. But they had started taking them and making them a spectacle in the Christian life, right? They'd said... The Spirit's not really among you unless you've got 10 prophetic words going on a Sunday morning or everybody's pre- speaking in tongues or you're getting people knocked out left and right with healings. Right? They, they just take them into a huge spectacle. But Paul very graciously kind of redirects them in how they understand the spiritual gifts by just a little word, and, and it, we kind of miss it, so I want to I pull it out just a little bit so that you're not lacking in any gift. That word gift there. It's actually, it's a, it's a, the word in Greek is a spirit gift. It's a, if you want to know the Greek word, charismata, right? That's where we get the word charismatic from, right? A spirit gift. But Paul goes on to the rest of the letter, and we'll get there eventually, but I want to list, show you this list. There's all these, these are all the gifts of the spirit. These are things that God, the spirit gives us. Marriage, right? Are you married? That's a spiritual gift. That, that, that's a spirit living in you to live out the marriage, celibacy or singleness, right? That's a spirit gift, right? We don't ever think about that as a spirit gift. That's a gift from the spirit. Word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, faith, right? Trusting in God to do things that he's promised to do. Gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, discernment, and tongues, right? Those are all like the hyped up super, super you know, uh, technicolor ones, right? Those are the ones in neon lights that everybody likes. Interpretation of tongues, ooh, what's that? Helps. <laughs> Helps. You see people around the church helping each other, serving. 
that's not just because you guys are nice people. That's a spirit living in us. Teaching, and the, everybody's favorite, everybody wants the spiritual gift of administration, don't they? <laughs> Some people are like, please, God, no. <laughs> Those are all things that Paul calls spiritual gift, charismata. Those are gifts. And the Corinthian church had gotten all, all kind of focused on the technicolor ones of, like, who's speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues and prophecy and all that stuff. And he is redirecting their attention that as a part of their Christian life, yes, God gives them those things. And actually, the cool thing is Paul never t- tells them to stop doing those things, right? So just to, if you're wondering, I, how do you think about spiritual gifts? It's like, well, Paul never tells them, hey, cut it out. Uh, but he redirects their attention on how to understand the spiritual gifts. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, because the purpose of all of the gifts is to point to Christ who is among us, right? What God is continuing to do in our lives as Christians, right? We, we tend to get enamored by pet issues in a Christian life, right? Is it marriage, dating, politics? Maybe politics is the big one these days. Politics. Um, how we school our children, how we do our devotions, what Bible version we read, blah, blah, blah. All these things, we get kind of enamored by these pet issues, so to speak. And Paul would direct our attention to think about the people that God dwells among rather than all these issues that you had to kind of work through. Right? Who are the people that God's living among? And often, we can feel, I'm sure Paul felt this temptation, these are people that have got a lot of issues, a lot of things to correct. And he would want to just go into attack mode, right? Beast mode and critiquing all that stuff. We tend to want to do that, don't we? We see all these issues and other people. Like, you got to know this is wrong. <laughs> and Paul, Paul goes back and he says, no, no, I want to start out with grace to see what God's doing among you. Right? We, we, we have to watch ourselves for falling into the trap of being overly critical of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those around us in our neighborhood. The temptation is to get all focused in on all the things that are wrong. I do this all the time in my head. What are the things that are wrong? What are the things that are going wrong in the situation? What are the ways in which we can improve? What are the ways in which I'm being slighted? Paul says, remember, put your grace glasses on. What are your grace glasses? Look for where grace is, actively being confirmed among the people of God. If you feel like you're an overly critical person, I want to bring this quote to you because I care for you, and it has shaped my thinking and how I look for grace in other people. Harold Best has this great little line. says, mature Christians are easily edified. Think about this. Mature Christians are easily edified. I just, just plant this in your head and think about this this week. We are often annoyed by things that don't go well. We're often perturbed by the things that are annoying. Maybe that could have been a better sermon. Maybe it was a bad sermon. Maybe the, the worship team could have done a better job. Maybe they did a poor job on a Sunday. All these things that we do on a Sunday morning together, maybe the missional community wasn't that great this time around. We think about all the things that are wrong, not to mention those things, but then just how we're slighted by our, our spouses or our friends, how we feel let down or people don't fulfill what we want them to do, or our expectations of them, right? You think about all the ways you can get consumed with of what other people do, you easily air, angered. But amidst the mess of all of our lives together, Paul still finds a way to look at the Corinthian church and be edified by them. 
how do we how do we change our perspective? Putting these grace glasses on to look at other people and see God not only saved them, but He's still with them. He's doing something there. How do we find what God is doing? Have our grace glasses on to see, right? If somebody is showing up to serve and be here on a Sunday morning, that is the grace of God in their lives, right? Frankly, if somebody is breathing today, that is the grace of God in their lives, right? There's mercy that we don't deserve, right? If somebody is interested in Jesus or still struggling with an aspect of obedience to Jesus, that still shows that there is a life growing there. There is plants being planted in their hearts. There is growth happening by the Spirit. We want to be eager to see God's hand in each other, right? This last week, just to throw this out there as an example, I took Owen out, my oldest son, and we went... um, we went to the arcade. You guys know um, Electric Avenue Arcade up on Bridge Street. My son is eight years old, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to identify eight things of grace that I see in my son's life. And I told, I told him, here's the eight things that I see God doing in your life. Because I just want him to know, right, that you guys know my, <laughs> if you guys don't know my son or my sons, you'll get to know them. <laughs> it is very hard as a parent to not get caught up on all the ways in which my son annoys me, perturbs me, angers me, frustrates me. I want him to know I see the grace of God in his life bigger than all of those kid things that frustrate me. So we need to use our heads and our hearts to put the grace glasses on. What's God doing here? Right? Think about this question. If the gospel weren't true, what would not be happening in this person's life? Right? This is the question I think we need to think about. What, what's happening here that wouldn't happen without the gospel? What's hap- or to put it differently, what's happening in this person's life because of the gospel? Because Jesus is true. Because he loves to redeem broken people. What's happening here because Jesus is true? Right? Let's ask that and identify those things and then use our mouths to communicate them to people. Right? You want to stir grace and encouragement in other people? To say, I saw this in what you're doing. That's God's grace in your life. I'm thankful for it. How do you think that's going to, what, what kind of community do you think that's going to make us into? <laughs> a gracious, thankful community. Just like Paul. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God given to you. Right? Looking for where grace is evident. Even amidst the mess of all of these things that are going on in their lives. Right? There is a lot of mess. <laughs> right? There is a huge amount of mess in our lives. But imagine how this would change our friendships, our relationships, our marriages, our parenting. If instead of getting so caught up on what I'm deserved and what you didn't do for me and what you did against me, those things may be true and real. I'm not trying to diminish those. But rather, putting our grace glasses on to see, God, where are you at work? What wouldn't happen in this person's life without Jesus? What wouldn't be going on without Jesus? Right? And frankly, you don't have to, the other person does not have to be a Christian for you to be able to do that. Right? A friend of mine, he owns a couple of restaurants here in the city, and we were talking recently about like, the work that he's doing with the city and the restaurants and what, how they're doing and all that stuff. And I said, hey, man, like, I know you don't believe in God, but um, I see God using you to revitalize our city. And I'm thankful for that. And he was like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, you don't believe in God, but God's using you build the economy, care for the people who need jobs. And he's a good guy, good leader, right? So he's investing in people to build them up and their, their job. He cares about them. I'm like, I see God using you, man. 
And he was kind of like, you could see like his brains on the ceiling. He's like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> because I want to put the grace glasses on to see where God is at work and then use my words like Paul to tell other people about it, right? But, you know, when we lay it out like this, it's not that hard, right? <laughs> you just have to say what wouldn't happen here if God weren't real. What's happening here because God's true. Now let me, let me praise it to another person, right? That's the community that Paul is trying to lead them towards. They had gotten all bent out of shape on all these other things. We want to take their correct, the Paul's correction here and encouragement to be a community of grace because we must always thank God for his grace in each other. So we've, we've looked at what God, what we want to be looking for what God has done, right? People believing in Jesus. We want to look for what God is doing, if he's actively doing, right, that down payment that he's fulfilling by living out the life of Jesus among us. Now we want to turn our attention, verse 8 to 9, we want to look for God's grace and what he will do, right? Verse 8 and 9, we will, this is waiting for the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, let me read that again. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm sorry, this is the way, the way grace works. Grace comes in, it births the soul to life, it lives among that soul to change them to be more like Jesus, and it delivers that person to Jesus face to face, right? The, the direction of grace, it never fails, right? God is not like you and me who makes New Year's resolutions and then fails on them 35 days into the year or five minutes, right? God does not fail on his resolutions to, to give grace. Grace always saves, transforms, and redeems without fail. But I just find this so fascinating. Right? Did you pick up on that? He will sustain you to the end, right? This is the day. There's two days in our lives that we must always be thinking about, this day and that day, right? There's today and that day. And between here and there, God is going to take the Corinthian church there, and they will be what? guiltless in that day. Right? I just want to say, the Corinthian church, we're not guiltless. <laughs> right? Our church, among us, we are not guiltless, all of us. There's no exception. We are all not guiltless. But in Jesus, this is the grace of God. He says, you will be guiltless because Jesus was counted guilty for you. He was counted all the ways that we are guilty. We're put on Jesus so that because Jesus was guiltless, we're given that in him. So that now we have the freedom to look forward to that day and not fear what God's going to say. This is the forward vision of grace that holds out for what people will be, right? Grace has come into our lives and is leading us there. And that is the only way we get into heaven. <laughs> That's the only way we get to be with God forever. Not because you voted for the right party, not because you paid your taxes on time, not because you came to church on a Sunday morning. Because of Jesus and him alone, this forward vision of grace looks, we want to look not just to who people are now, but we want to see them for who they will be in Jesus on that day. One of the most profound paragraphs that has shaped my life on how to apply this in our lives um, comes actually from a book on marriage by Tim Keller. I don't know if you know who Tim, Tim Keller is. He's a super smart guy pastor in New York, right? Super smart pastor. I'd like to get adopted by him because I'd like just to be able to say that he's my dad. <laughs> but 
um, Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. He says this in a book on marriage, and I don't want you to exclude this if you're not married. This, is, this shapes how we think about other Christians, I think. Within the Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now look at you. When we look at each other in the church, there are many things that cause us to get frustrated and angry and our legitimate hurts and concerns. But for people who are in Jesus, we will look at each other, King's Cross, we will stand before Jesus and we will look at each other and we will say, I always knew you could be like this. Not because you are such a great person, but because God had given his grace to you in Jesus. God, verse 9, is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Because God dwells among us, because God is with us, we have a future that is so filled with grace and glory and beauty and goodness that we could never do anything to taint it when we get there. It is a future filled with grace that we don't deserve that, so that now when we look at each other and we say, man, I'm really struggling right now, we can say to each other, I'm going to see you as you really are in Jesus someday. And I want to see it now by God's grace. I want to see who you are because God sees you in a way that I don't. Right? I often struggle to see people more than just their failures and struggles. God sees us much bigger, so big that his entire grace is implanted in our little hearts right now that will grow into a gigantic flower and tree that will consume the whole world and renew everything. That, that, that's what it means to be in Jesus, right? This whole gospel thing, what does this mean? God dwells among us to birth new life in us because of what he has done in Jesus and what he is doing among us and what he will do. Right, so this, these grace goggles that we, we want to put on to see, join with Paul, to see in each other, right? We want to see God's grace, what it has done in each other, what it is doing in each other, what it will do. And we want to use our words. So what is God doing in other Christians or your neighbors this week that you can put these grace goggles on and use your words to tell people about it. Because that is who God is. A redeeming, gracious God who dwells among us. We must always thank God for his grace in each other because he dwells with us. So let's pray. Let's pray for God to help us with this, okay? Father, we need your help. Much like Paul, we can feel tempted to get caught up in the beef that we have with each other. 
or the problems or concerns. God, help us to join your grace mission to see each other through your eyes and to join your celebration of grace in each other. God, help us, I pray. Right now, do a work in us that helps us repent of our pride and receive afresh the gift of the Holy Spirit to encourage each other in Jesus. We ask this because Jesus is true and he's real and he's good. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.